The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We got the power to change the world. Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our healthcare provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hello, this is Occupy Health with Dr. Susan. What can we do to treat ourselves before we go to the doctor? How can we address routine issues such as colds, sore throats, and headaches? What can we do if it's just difficult to get to the doctor? Uh, What can we do in addition to their treatment? So one such approach would be homeopathy. It is a treatment paradigm. There are clinics and hospitals throughout the world using it, and millions of people are using it. It's very popular in Europe. For example, 40% of the French public and 39% of French family doctors uh, are, use it, or, and 20% of German physicians are, are using it as well. 90% of their all-star football players use it, and in 1981, 45% of Dutch physicians considered these medicines effective. In the 1980s, 42% of the British MDs referred patients to the homeopathic doctor. So this is well integrated in Europe. But what about the United States? There used to be 22 homeopathic medical schools, including Boston University, New York Homeopathic Medical College, University of Michigan, the University of Minnesota, Hanneman's, University of Iowa, etc. There are over 100 homeopathic hospitals with thousands of homeopathic pharmacies. Uh, So what happened? This was integrated in the U.S. system as well. So today, our guest is Dana Ullman, one of America's leading advocates for homeopathy. He's authored 10 books, including The Homeopathic Revolution, Why Famous People and Culture Heroes Choose Homeopathy, Homeopathy A through Z, Homeopathic Medicines for Children and Infants, Discovering Homeopathy, and the bestseller, Everybody's Guide to Homeopathic Medicines. He wrote this with Stephen Cummings, M.D., He's also created an e-course of how to use homeopathic medicine kits, which integrates 80 short videos, each averaging about 15 minutes, with his famous e-book that is continuing growing research to with over 300 clinical studies that have been published in peer-reviewed medical journals testing homeopathic medicines. His e-book combines a description of these studies with practical information on how to use homeopathic medicine for over 100 common ailments. So hopefully we can use this as well. Uh, Mr. Allman has been certified in classical homeopathy by the leading organization in the U.S. for professional homeopaths. So welcome to the show. Greetings, Susan. Thank you indeed. Well, let's find out about homeopathy so our listeners can learn more about it. What is homeopathy? 
What is it indeed? Homeopathy is a type of natural medicine that uses extremely small doses of plants, minerals, animals, or chemicals. Not per se based on the disease the person has, but on the syndrome, the specific and unique way you have your headache, you have your arthritis, you have your PMS, you have your anxiety. Because your headache, your anxiety, your fibromyalgia, your whatever will be slightly different than someone else's. And the premise behind homeopathy is, is that our symptoms are not just the result of breakdown of the body, but our symptoms are defenses. Your, our symptoms are ways our body and mind are fighting infection and adapting to stress. And in that light, because that fever, because that headache, because that pain syndrome, because that inflammation is an important defense of the body, homeopaths then use substances from nature that have in previously, previous situations been found to cause the similar symptoms that the sick person is having. Because if you have an inflammation, if you're having a fever, and if that is your defense, you don't want to lower the fever. You don't want to lower the inflammation. Yeah, you want to get rid of it. But the best way to get rid of it isn't to go against it. it, it the best way to, to solve constipation isn't to loosen you or the other way around. The best way to solve diarrhea isn't to constipate you because there's a reason the body is working hard to dispel via diarrhea pathogens. That's an important defense of the body. And so the principle that is known to be behind vaccines that uses small doses of what might cause a problem to strengthen the body's immune system actually derives from homeopathy. And this principle of similar is an ancient pharmacological principle. And the very word homeopathy comes from two Greek words, homeos, which means similar, and pathos, which means suffering. And therefore, the idea in homeopathy is to use a substance in very small dose that might cause the similar symptoms that a sick person is having. So are you saying the symptoms we might have, such as a headache, is something our body is generating to help get us back to optimal functioning, and we want to support these symptoms. Uh, we don't want to stop the headache, for example. Absolutely, and absolutely. So one of the medicines, just to give grounded an example, is one of the medicines we use for certain types of headaches is homeopathic doses of coffee. Now, we know that caffeine in overdose, one of the symptoms it causes is a headache. And believe it or not, one of the reasons why caffeine as a chemical ingredient is in aspirin is because it both causes pain syndromes and headache syndromes, and smaller doses of it will help to relieve it. But homeopaths even use smaller doses because we find that the, the human body becomes hypersensitive to whatever it really needs. And you don't always have to hit the hammer on the head with a strong hammer. Sometimes a little dab will do you, and the body, in fact, can and will react well and in a healing capacity when you're given the right remedy at the right time. So, for example, a fever. I mean, that's our defenses heating up, walling off the foreign invaders. Uh, so if we give a drug to lower that fever, are we interfering with the body's natural fighting um, 
resources. Absolutely. That you get you get it well. Uh, in fact, if you think about it, when you have a fever, the body creates this internal heated environment. And in doing so, in that fevered environment, the body naturally secretes interferon, which is an antiviral chemical. If you take aspirin, which lowers your fever, that disables the body to fight the fever and the infection on its own. So what ends up happening is by lowering the body's temperature in a mechanical, pharmacological way, you have a temporary relief of your fever, but then that allows the virus to replicate. So when the drug wears off, then the body comes back with an even higher fever. You see, one of the reasons why conventional doctors hate homeopathy is inherent in homeopathy is a quite profound and quite compelling critique of conventional medicine. And that is really somewhat threatening to the conventional medical model. It's not just that homeopathy offers different medicines. Homeopathy, which is, as you mentioned before, practiced throughout the world mostly by medical doctors who add to their conventional medical training, training in homeopathy. And it's not that Homeopaths don't use conventional drugs. They can and, and do, but they, don't, they simply don't have to use them as much. And often they're able to cure or at least greatly benefit people with safer medicines in the meantime. So like another example might be nasal discharge. This is a bunch of dead viruses, white blood cells, mucus, trying to flush it out. So right. Western medicine, we try to dry it up, and isn't that counterproductive? Yeah. Absolutely. You, you get to hit, hit the nail on the head there, too. If you think about it, when you have a cold, your body's been exposed to a rhinovirus. And your body then fights and kills many of these viruses, but many of our own white blood cells and our own um, uh, immune cells die in the process. So the body creates this liquid substance as a way of getting rid of this dead, these dead cells and dead viruses. So if you take a, a conventional drug which dries up your mucous membranes, what do you think happens with all those, those dead cells? They congest. So what ends up happening is all of a sudden a person takes a cold medicine and they don't have a cold anymore, but now it's moved down and settled in their chest, and then they end up getting pneumonia. They get bronchitis. So, you see, in homeopathy, we find that many conventional drugs, when they work, quote-unquote, and even when studies show that they work, quote-unquote, is because they are very effective in suppressing the disease and pushing it into deeper levels. It's sort of like if you think about all the painkillers that are out there. Do the painkillers really cure the pain? No. They simply turn off your conscious awareness of the pain and bless them for that. It is a real blessing that we can do that when we, when, when we have to. But guess what? There are other systems of medicine and healing, homeopathy being one, that can also deal with pain syndromes. In fact, I've written over the years chapters in four different medical textbooks. And one of the chapters I wrote in, a, in one of the leading medical textbooks on pain management called Weiner's Pain Management was a chapter on homeopathy and, and pain syndromes. I wrote that with a, a rheumatologist who's a pain specialist, and I reviewed the research on homeopathy and different pain syndromes. There's been some good studies in con leading conventional journals on homeopathy and the treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, 
There's a, a several actually excellent ones, including one in the B- British Medical Journal, another in the journal Rheumatology, on the homeopathic treatment of fibromyalgia. So, you know, when people uh, and skeptics of homeopathy say that there's no research on homeopathy, please know what they're really saying is I'm lying to you and I'm not telling or I'm misinformed. And so I don't know, some of the times they're lying and some of the times they're misinformed and it's sort of hard to tell. Uh, one interesting, uh, intriguing a statement that I came across was like concerning the 1917 flu. I mean, some have postulated that it was not the virus that killed a lot of people, but the aspirin. That's and the death right. rates in conventional hospitals far exceeded those in homeopathic hospitals. That was one of the reasons, for sure. You see, aspirin really was a miracle drug. Uh, uh, was then, still is in some ways. But, uh, of course, initially, when the fact that it would lower a fever was really seen to be really impressive. But once again, that's the bad news. Uh, when you have a, a viral infection like the flu, the worst thing you can do is lower the fever. That, uh, that disables you from fighting the infection with two hands tied behind your back. Now, ironically, one of the most common homeopathic medicines that we use to fight the flu has one of the worst names in drug history. It, it's, uh, it's about 18 letters, and it's called Oscillococcinum. But really, the thing you need to know about this medicine, and it's, re- it's come out of France, it's extremely popular in France and Europe, and it's somewhat popular here in America. But what, what it's made of will really make sense to people. It's made from the heart and liver of a duck. Now, uh, I know some people are saying, well, that proves that homeopathy is quackery, and I want to apologize immediately for that bad pun. But... Uh, <laughs> but but what's interesting is ducks are birds. And for those of us who know, who have any knowledge about flu, you've heard of the bird flu. And the reason why you have to understand this is, is that so once you realize that ducks carry every known influenza virus in their digestive tract, then ultimately this homeopathic medicine made from this uh, duck liver and heart has literally homeopathic or very nano-sized doses of these different viruses, which then helps to strengthen the body's immune system like a vaccine. And as it turns out, four double-blind and placebo-controlled trials published in different journals have found that homeopathic oscillococcinum is an effective medicine for treating the flu. Now, the trick, however, what we found is is that it's most effective when you use this medicine during the first 48 hours. After 48 hours, you have to use a more individually selected remedy. And here's where one of my books, like Everybody's Guide to Homeopathic Medicines, can be effective, or Homeopathic Medicines for Children and Infants, and or my ebook, which is called Evidence-Based Homeopathic Family Medicine, can be wonderfully effective, where I describe around 10 to 15 different remedies and different flu syndromes and the slightly different symptoms that one person will have with the flu versus someone else versus someone else. And you look for that panel or that syndrome of symptoms of the flu that matches those symptoms that you are having. Okay, so let me summarize this. In uh, allopathic medicine, we tend to wait till something is ill and we treat the symptoms or the manifestation of the diseases. 
But in homeopathy, these symptoms we see as defenses, so we respect and mimic the body wisdom. So whatever That's the body right. is trying to do, we try to help it because the body by itself might not be able to do it by itself. So we nurture and augment our defenses rather than fight them. That's right. You know, if you've ever heard of the martial art Aikido, Aikido is very different than American-style boxing. The Aikido master waits for the person to attack them, and as the, the person is swinging at them, the Aikido master uses the strength and force of the fist coming at him. Hmm. So when the Aikido master is coming at you with a great force, you go with it to trip him up, rather than you just stop and try to fight him, which will require a lot of energy and might not be as productive. That's a very interesting analogy. So, yeah. Well, if you think about it, our symptoms, the very word symptom derives from Greek again, and it means sign or signal. So our symptoms aren't the disease, they're the sign and signal of the disease. And if you're only treating the symptom, then it's like driving in your car and your oil light coming on. And the way that a doctor would treat the oil light coming on is to unscrew the lamp, get rid of the signal, get rid of the symptom. That would and work. not only does that not, although that works initially, and it makes seem to work, very soon the car will break down. And that is the situation we have. Conventional drugs, and when they, uh, when they say they, they work, that's, there's a catch-22. They work, and that's sometimes the bad news. They provide a short-term benefit and a longer-term problem. So how does homeopathy differ from naturopathic medicine? Well, uh, homeopathy is a type of natural medicine in that it stimulates the body's own ability to heal. Um, and as such, it has become one of the most popular disciplines or therapeutic strategies in the field of naturopathic medicine. But because homeopathy is also a school of thought in medicine itself, there's also a great number of, of doctors throughout Europe and Asia and South America and other countries um, that use homeopathy. But the bottom line, too, is, is that the general public can learn to use homeopathic medicines themselves to treat common ailments. However, to treat more chronic illnesses, more serious illnesses, this is where that's a much more serious uh, level of, of study in homeopathy. So I write books to teach people, anyone out there, that might want to treat themselves and their family for common acute ailments, whether that be colds and coughs, first aid accidents and injuries, uh, ear infections, throat infections, headaches and PMSs, bladder infections and some acute allergies, but to treat more chronic allergies and chronic a a eczema or chronic asthma and or chronic musculoskeletal problems or these things. Here's where becoming a professional homeopath is a many-year process, many-year process indeed. So when I studied homeopathy, I studied from a French homeopath, and he was eclectic as opposed to the classical homeopath who does great research with the individual and hours of finding out about them and then giving one remedy. So would That's you right. consider yourself a classical homeopath or are you uh, mixing, uh, are you doing that plus more? 
Well, I'm a classical homeopath myself, but I'm not uh, rigid in that I sometimes will use more than one remedy, and sometimes I will use non-homeopathic ingredients. The, the reason why classical homeopaths use one medicine at a time is that they're real scientists in that. They want to find out what this one substance does. So sometimes a person says, well, should I change this about my life? Should I change that about my life? Sometimes a homeopath will say, no, just do your normal things because I want to test your normal life under this remedy. And we can see some dramatic changes. Now, uh, homeopaths can and will provide some you know, basic nutritional information and sometimes even some therapeutic nutritional information. But we do try and sometimes separate that when we do that from the times where we're giving a medicine that might have a powerful effect. And we really want to see the difference between lifestyle effects upon health and the medicinal effects upon health. So how do they come up with what homeopathic remedy is used for what condition? Well, that's what's so great about homeopathy. It is based on toxicology. Uh, and we do studies on, human, on humans, not on animals, to find out what these different substances cause an overdose. And literally, we've tested thousands of substances, and, uh, and then we draw from the conventional pharmacological and toxicological literature. And, you know, when a substance is a carcinogen, you know, before it develops cancer, uh, cancer in a person, it develops a whole variety of symptoms. It might be a fever, it might be an inflammation, it might be a skin rash, it might be neurological symptoms, it might be hormonal symptoms, it might be sensitivities to hot or cold. And homeopaths make note of this. And then when we're interviewing our patients, the person says, yeah, I have a headache in the front part of the head, and it's really worse when I wake up in the morning, and it's worse when I begin moving around, and when I move my eyes, it hurts, and when it's bright light out, it hurts. Now, that's very different from a person who has a headache that's worse at the end of the day than worse, uh, not when they, they move around, actually. Sometimes moving around makes them feel better. They feel worse when they lie down flat. All the blood rushes to their head, and it begins to throb, you know? Whereas one person might also feel dizzy with a headache, another person might, might feel nauseous with a headache. And yet, because their primary complaint is a headache, should these people with two vastly different headache syndromes be given the same remedy? Not in homeopathy, they don't. And that's what's so great. So what the whole process in homeopathy is, is we interview our patients look, looking for the idiosyncratic symptoms that each patient has and look for a medicine in nature that has been found to cause that unique syndrome of symptoms when given to healthy people in toxic doses. So by, by matching the toxicology of the substance with the symptoms of the patient, by finding that match, you then give it in a really small dose, and the body-mind has hypersensitivity to that substance, and a powerful healing will engage. Wow, so it's a very thorough process. Yeah, it is. And, and homeopaths now use expert system software to help us individualize our medicines. So, you know, when it says headache in the front part of the head, it might list, you know, 300 substances. But headache in the front part of the head, worse on waking, will have maybe 150. 
and then a headache on the front part of the head on waking, better with cold application to the head, that will have 50. And then, you know, and so what you, you drill down, drill down, drill down, and look for the medicine that matches the pattern. And that's why we like to say that a homeopathic medicine isn't for a disease. It's for the way you have your disease. And can we obtain this software so we can sit home on our computers and fix ourselves? Uh, sure, you can. Um, there, there are some software programs that are um, uh, available online, and some are free. Um, but most that homeopaths use, are, you know, they're not cheap. They're starting around, you know, $800 or so. Uh, so that's not cheap, needless to say, but it's... It is cheap if you're a professional, and you're, it is cheap if you're regularly using this and helping people in a regular basis. I mean, that's really one great thing about homeopathy is, is this individualization of treatment. Ultimately, it, it's respect for the body-mind symptoms. You know, I like to say that conventional doctors don't seem to believe in evolution, because if they did, then we would realize that our symptoms are efforts of our body's effort to survive. And those of us that believe in evolution know that the body, mind, will go, and the human body will go to great extents to survive. So our symptoms are our survival strategies. They're not breakdown. And so instead of suppressing the symptoms, we look for a medicine in nature that will mimic them, to mimic that wisdom in our body, mind. We have survived as long as the species as we have, because that doctor inside us is brilliant, but that doctor does need help <laughs> to deal with these infections that we get, to deal with the stress that we, we are, submit ourselves to. So by giving this nano-sized dose of a medicine, here's the other way to understand how it, it works. Every cell of our body has a membrane, and that membrane is not a wall. It's a membrane. It will let certain things in, and other things won't get let in. But when you use a super small dose of a substance, it's able to penetrate membranes much more effectively than larger doses. Because a larger dose, the membrane will, will shut down. The blood-brain barrier won't let in large or complex molecules. But if, like very, very fine dust, you give a nanodose of a substance that can penetrate that membrane, that penetrate the, the blood-brain barrier, it can then get into the cell get through the, the and into the brain, and wow. then it creates an immunological reaction. Wow, can. that's very interesting. We're coming to a break now, so more on that later. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health, 
and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. If you're busy, stressed, and can't ever seem to find the time to add in those new healthy habits, you need to check out Lisa Lutan's Busy, Stressed, and Food-Obsessed show. This program will help you discover easy ways to improve your health and happiness. Plus, you will pick up all sorts of tips on better eating, fitness, relationships, how to manage stress, and a lot more. You'll feel yourself becoming healthier just by tuning in. Listen live every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. We'd love to hear from you about today's show. Send your email to Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. That's Dr. Susan at OccupyHealth.com. Now, back to this week's program. Wow, that's very interesting. We're back here with uh, Dana Ullman, who is one of the leading homeopaths in the United States. And he's telling us how uh, the particular remedies were chosen for each disease. So this was tested on thousands and thousands of patients, on people, wasn't it? Yes, it, it, indeed. See, homeopathy has been around for 200 years, and it is the leading alternative therapy used by doctors in Europe. And one newer statistic that you didn't have when you gave the introduction is, a, is the most impressive statistic, and it's a recent survey done in France. And they found out that 95% of French pediatricians, dermatologists, and general practitioners integrate homeopathic medicines into their practice. And this survey was done by drawing from the database of the French government's national health insurance and, and, and they enumerated which doctors prescribed which homeopathic medicines. So this is solid evidence of not just uh, homeopathy being some type of alternative medicine in France, but it being a part of mainstream French medicine. And what's really interesting, too, is the, is the World Health Organization has deemed France to have the best medical care in the world. So how about that? Well, what happened in the United States? We used to have a lot of homeopathic hospitals and pharmacies. Yes, we did. At the turn of the century, uh, from the 19th to the 20th century, there were 22 homeopathic medical schools. Boston University, for instance, Ohio State University, University of Michigan, University of Minnesota, University of Iowa, even the University of Iowa. All right. And uh, even in the San Francisco Bay Area, the dean of medicine at this, being from Berkeley, I I call Stanford a community college. Please excuse me. But but anyway, the dean of Stanford's um, uh, medicine in the early 1900s was a homeopathic doctor. But the bottom line is the reason why it's not as popular today is is that uh, Big Pharma teamed up with Big Medicine, the AMA. And um, it really is a quite fascinating story. But in 1900, 
the uh, head of the AMA had a brilliant idea to create the AMA seal of approval on drugs. And to get the AMA seal of approval on drugs, you didn't have to prove that it worked. You didn't have to prove that it was safe. All you had to do is two things. You had to say what was in your drug, which is, of course, a good thing. Uh, but secondly, you had to agree to advertise in every AMA local, regional, and national publication. In other words, this was a legal form of bribery. And this made the AMA rich by, by getting the drug companies to advertise in their journals. And then the AMA, by doing that, would give them the seal of approval on drugs, even though that didn't mean it was either safe or effective. It just gave the imperture of what Orthodox medicine had. Wow. No, I understand. That's how they got rich. I understand the physician to the Queen of England is a homeopath. How did that come Absolutely. about? Absolutely. He wrote the foreword to uh, two of the books that I've written over the years. Um, and, you know, that's one other way that you know that homeopathy isn't some type of new age, new age fangled thing. I mean, the royals are not exactly new age. Um, <laughs> at, <laughs> at the same time, uh, every survey that's ever been conducted, and there have been hundreds of them, on who uses homeopathic medicines has consistently found that the more educated a person is, the more likely they are to use homeopathic medicines. Are there any side effects to homeopathic medicines? Well, if you take a homeopathic medicine like a vitamin, because homeopathic medicines are not to be taken every day, they're to be taken really when you need it. And, if, and unless you're getting benefit that's measurable and that's tangible, don't take it. But if people take the remedy and continue to take the remedy, it can create a problem, yes, because the whole idea in homeopathy is to take it only when you have a problem. And, uh, and to stop taking it at some point. Can this be used in conjunction with Western medicine? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, many of my patients are on conventional medicines. Um, so they're, they're coming to me as a way of reducing their conventional medicine usage. And I ne personally never tell them to stop taking their conventional drug. That's a decision they make themselves or they make with, in conjunction with their doctor. But, you know, it, 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 everyone is aware of the limitations and dangers of conventional medicines, especially in comparison with the much, much safer homeopathic medicines. Wow. So how do they make these homeopathic remedies? Okay. Every homeopathic medicine is made by a drug manufacturer who's regulated by the FDA. And it's very strictly regulated by the FDA because homeopathic medicines are different than nutritional supplements. Homeopathic medicines are regulated as drugs because they are primarily over-the-counter drugs, which means that they don't, you don't need to be a doctor to prescribe them or to purchase them. Uh, but because they are regulated as drugs, they have very strict FDA regulations. In fact, as it turns out, in 1938, under Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one of the most important consumer rights laws ever enacted was the famous 1938 Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, which empowered the FDA to regulate drugs. 
As it turns out, this legislation was written by the senator from New York, who happened to be a medical doctor and a homeopathic medical doctor. And as a part of that legislation, he gave recognition to the homeopathic pharmacopoeia, which is the, the, uh, the manual that homeopathic manufacturers or pharmacies use to making of the medicines. And uh, so that established national recognition to homeopathic medicines in America. And that's what makes them legal. And then further, they got defined primarily as over-the-counter drugs rather than as prescription drugs. Okay. So, um, okay, so uh, you, the, these are made by uh, diluting a remedy and diluting right. a remedy and diluting a remedy under very controlled conditions. Yeah, let me talk about that a little bit. So let's say we might use a substance like belladonna. Now, belladonna at first blush is, you know, a poison. You know, it's a plant, but, you know, it's an hallucinogen. So if you uh, took uh, a certain number, um, amount of the leaves of the belladonna, you can and will create a fever. You can and will create some uh, inflammation with it. You can and will experience some degree of delusions and or, and or hallucinations. And uh, what ends up happening is, is that we use this as a, a leading remedy, often for infants who have these high fevers uh, with dilated pupils, and that uh, these infants seem to be fearful, and, and they, they think they see monsters. Um, and so a homeopathic dose of belladonna can help provide uh, real relief and even immediate relief when it's given to the right person or infant at the right time. Are there good explanations for why very small doses uh, are effective? Yeah. Uh, let me explain. Now, some of this is sort of technical, but some of it isn't. So let me see. Some of you will really get this, and some of you may not. But let me explain to you the newest research that was published in a really respected scientific journal that's published by the American Chemistry Society. All right. So what it is is, is that when you make a homeopathic medicine, they use a, a double distilled water. So they distill water once, and they distill it again. And this is what's called pharmaceutical-grade water. It's thought to be the most pure water. Then they always use the, the, they make the medicines in glass, because if you use it in aluminum or tin, the aluminum or tin would leach into the water, and it would no longer have a pure water situation. Now, we thought that glass was inert, and that's why we used it. But as it turns out, it isn't, and nothing is. Because now we use advanced spectroscopy to measure nanoparticles of silica that fall off the glass walls. Whenever you have water in glass and then you shake it very vigorously, the bubbles and the nano-sized bubbles blanch against the side walls, and little tiny nano-sized fragments of silica fall off the glass walls. Now, that's not a problem. I mean, our body filtrates all the, these little silica fragments, and it's not any problem. But when you're making a medicine and you're putting that in uh, that bottle, every substance that you make into the medicine is pushed into these silica fragments. And they find, in fact, that there's six silica fragments per, mil, um, per million uh, in, in the water, so that there's 
thousands of these little silica fragments. And because you're making a medicine, that medicine is pushed into these silica fragments, and then when you dump the water out, a lot of the silica fragments just cling to the glass walls. So you don't get rid of them, and you don't get rid of whatever plant, mineral, animal, or chemical you're making into a medicine. So this research found that no matter how many times you did the diluting and shaking, diluting and shaking, diluting and shaking, you always had some remaining of the, of the original medicine that you used in very measurable amounts. And as it turns out, our body's hormones and different, different neural chemicals of the body operate at this similar nano-sized dose. And in homeopathy, we don't say that nano doses of just anything will be effective. Not at all. The only thing that will be effective will be the nano-sized dose of whatever your body needs at that moment. And so when you're given that one remedy that matches the toxicology of your symptoms, then the bo- that's the way to find the substance that you will be sensitive to. And, and, you know, one thing that, that's important to know beyond research, just into history, is homeopathy became popular in the 19th century due to the, it, its impressive results it experienced during the infectious disease epidemics of that era. So I'm talking about scarlet fever, typhoid fever, yellow fever, um, pneumonia, influenza. And so here's where a placebo is just not enough. It's not enough to help heal a person from yellow fever or typhoid or malaria or, or any of these other infectious diseases. So, and, uh, and so these nano-sized doses augment the body's immune system when you use them in the right way. So if you give the wrong remedy, uh, will that have no effect at all? Yeah, it, it won't have any effect. It's, it's like... Uh, putting plastic next to a magnet. It's like there's no affinity, so there's no reaction. And is it true that the more dilute a homeopathic remedy is, the more powerful it is? Well, yes. It's not. However, just to understand the dilution process is that they use a test tube, and they, they dilute it 1 to 10 or 1 to 100, and then they shake it 40 times, and they dilute it again 1 to 10 or 1 to 100, and they shake it 40 times. And they do this 3 times or 6 times or 30 times or 200 times, or 1,000, 10,000, 50,000, or even 100,000 times. And we do find that the more a substance goes through this potentization process, is what it's called, that the medicines, when correctly given, will have a longer and deeper act and will require fewer and fewer doses. So commonly when we give a dose that's been diluted 1 to 10, 1,000 times, a homeopath will give just one or two doses per one to six months. So what and, about you know, the cost? Oh, a lot of people me. say that homeopathy is a placebo. But, you know, if we are really trying to use the placebo response, we would tell patients to take the medicine three times a day. But in fact, many times I tell my patients, take one or two doses, and then let's talk in a month. So that's not a really good way to elicit the placebo effect. Um, And yet we do see powerful healing responses, especially in chronic types of illnesses. 
um, and people have been having their complaints for months, years, decades, and they've tried many things, and they've had hope each time they've tried new things. So it's just hope is not enough. So what about the is a cost good thing, but it's not enough. What about the cost effectiveness? So take a, a classical homeopath, a lot of time to find the right remedy, but the remedy is a lot more inexpensive than pharmaceutical drugs. So what about the cost effectiveness of going to a homeopath? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The thing is, is that it, because homeopathy is labor intensive, the first interview with the homeopath will be at least an hour long. And follow-ups are usually between 10 and 30 minutes. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit more labor-intensive than the conventional medical model. But isn't overall uh, uh, less expensive overall? I mean, like... Well, um, actually, yes, there's been a variety of studies to, that show that people, the overall healthcare system saves a lot of money under homeopathic treatment, not just the cost of the drugs and the cost of the lab tests and, and the... Um, and the cost of follow-up and the cost of the side effects of the drug, all that, you know, is saved with homeopathic medicines. Can you give me a specific example of a homeopathic medicine and what it's good for? Sure. Um, let's just talk about something very simple. And let's talk about bee venom. Now, if you get stung by a bee, you know, what symptoms does it create? Uh, uh, burning, stinging, swelling type of pain, right? And uh, that, that sort of swollenness, uh, and, and I think we've all had at different times in our life tonsillitis, where you open your mouth and you, you look at your throat and you see those tonsils are really red, they're swollen, they might fee- even feel hot and burning. You might want to suck on an ice cube, and you may... Uh, find that, you know, drinking warm drinks is irritating and makes it worse, so you might want cold drinks. And, and so because bee venom causes uh, that type of swelling and because it also causes a burning, stinging pain that feels better with cold applications, it, we don't, won't say that uh, homeopathic bee is good for tonsillitis. It will be good for people that have tonsillitis with those symptoms. Because other people with tonsillitis will, will find that sometimes warm drinks is good. Yes, it, it's swollen. Yes, it looks the same. But, but actually, it's not cold drinks that provide benefit. It's warm drinks. And in that case, you'd think of a different medicine, not homeopathic B. Now, one of the other things about homeopathic medicines is, is that in order to be precise about whatever plant, mineral, or animal species we're talking about, the names of the homeopathic medicines are always by their Latin names. So the name for B in Latin is Apis, A-P-I-S. And um, uh, so we would give a homeopathic dose of Apis for people with certain types of sore throats. Now, of course, we would also give it for people who have certain bug bites that have those similar characteristics. Okay, so the remedies we see in the, the 
of pharmacies, you know, the, are these remedies subject to the same scrutiny as the homeo- other homeopathic medications? Because there's homeopathic remedies that we find in supermarkets. Are they yeah. subject to what the same scrutiny? What you'll see in supermarkets and in select health food stores are what are called homeopathic combination remedies or formulas. Well, the, where, where the manufacturer will put, let's say, five to eight of the most common homeopathic medicines for insomnia or the five to eight most common homeopathic medicines for headaches. And so it's a, uh, the intention is that hopefully one of the remedies will act, that the, the, your body-mind will be sensitive to one of the ingredients, as, almost as though... Uh, imagine you being a magnet, and your body is looking for anything that has a little bit of iron in it. So, it's like so if you approach. find that that one medicine to which you're hypersensitive, then your body mind will react. So it's like a shotgun approach. You uh, shoot in many things, and your body won't react to those that aren't appropriate. But hopefully, the right one is in there. That's right. And that is a good example, and that's a good metaphor, if you will. And so these are subject to the same scrutiny by the FDA. Yes, they are. They are still also considered uh, over-the-counter medicines. Now, what you won't see is you won't see a homeopathic formula product for heart disease or diabetes or cancer because an over-the-counter drug can only be for a condition that is... And that won't kill you, <laughs> and that doesn't need a medical diagnosis. And it sounds like there's a lot of research backing up the claims of homeopathy. Well, yes, there's two types of research. There's one the type of research that, that we know from toxicology, and that is the because that's the basic principle that we in homeopathy depend upon to determine what our medicines will be effective in treating. And so once we know what a substance will cause, we will then know what it will cure. So that's the the first type of research. And in fact, when I sometimes debated skeptics of homeopathy, I often asked them a question. And I said, since you're an antagonist to homeopathy, can you explain to me, because you, you assert yourself to be so knowledgeable of this system, how does a homeopath determine what a specific substance is effective in treating? And, you know, most of the time they don't even know that, that, that all of homeopathy is based on toxicology. They usually say it's based on folklore. And they say, no, it's not based on folklore at all. There's no folklore in homeopathy. It's only based on toxicology. Um, and, and then if they do answer that correctly, they say, well, thank you for confirming that homeopathy is based on the science of toxicology. Now let's move on. <laughs> and then secondly, there, is, there have been about 300 studies published in peer-reviewed medical journals uh, testing homeopathy. And I, one of the books that I wrote, my most recent book, is this e-book uh, called Evidence-Based Homeopathic Family Medicine, which presently is only available at my website, which is at homeopathic.com. And what this e-book is, is not only uh, information on how homeopaths treat 100 common ailments and what are the common remedies for you to consider using, but it provides reference to, description of, and links to the 300 studies published in peer-reviewed journals. 
And for those of you out there who may be health or medical professionals, when uh, you mentioned earlier that I created this e-course that teaches people how to use a homeopathic medicine kit, uh, that e-course now actually offers continuing education credit for doctors, for uh, nurses, and for all, t- uh, all a lot of types of therapists. Wow. So if you need continuing education hours, you know, check out my website at homeopathic.com or specifically the eCourses website. You'll even see more information on the eCourse at homeopathicfamilymedicine.com. So when should one consider going to a professional homeopath? Well, um, if you have some type of chronic ailment, recurrent complaint that, you know, you've tried to deal with, yeah, either conventionally and alternatively, and you're still dealing with it many years, maybe many decades. Um, if you've got a child that uh, before you want to uh, undergo uh, uh, round after round of antibiotics, let's say your kid has an ear infection, in fact, pediatricians are now discouraging um patients to ask for antibiotics for ear infections unless the ear infection has been persisted for at least three months. Sometimes then they won't even prescribe antibiotics. Um, so, you know, in the, in the times where doctors don't want to treat the patient, here's where homeopathy can be very effective. Um, and uh, even behavioral issues, whether that be ADD or ADHD, um, to various um, people or children even on the autistic spectrum. I've got, oh, we're coming close to a close now. So is there any summarizing points that you would like our audience to know and how to well, reach you, which you've mentioned your websites, but so yeah. any closing points? Well, you know, if you have any questions about homeopathy or if you're seeking homeopathic care, one of the services that I provide is I see patients, and I see them mostly over Skype and over the telephone. So as long as you're on planet Earth, you have access to a homeopath, whether it be me or perhaps some other other colleague. Um, and, and then I just arrange to mail you the medicine, um, and that can be done pretty darn easily these days. And how do we get in touch with you to make such an appointment? You can do that through my website at homeopathic.com. Okay. So in closing, um, I would like to point out that homeopath, uh, homeopathy, it's got a lot of research behind it. It's cost-effective, and it's based on the principles of similar. So uh, we want to support the body defenses. We don't want to fight them because the body has its own wisdom. So we help it in trying to do what it's doing rather than fighting it. So also in closing, I would like to say that go out and do your own research, um, read up and uh, find out and check with your doctor so you can help yourself and help others. Be well. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.